Welcome to the Real Estate Espresso Podcast, your morning shout out what's new in the world of real estate investing. I'm your host, Victor Manash. This is the weekend edition where we interview notable people from the world of real estate investing. Today is no exception. We've got a great guest all the way from Greensboro, North Carolina. Welcome to the show, Jerome Myers. Victor, grateful to be with you again. Thank you for having me. Great to have you back. We spoke maybe about seven, eight months ago and would love to catch up with you again. One of the things that I know you do is that you coach a lot of younger investors, newer investors who are trying to get into the game or trying to elevate themselves to a higher level. And before we dive into that discussion, though, maybe for the folks who don't know you, give a little bit of your backstory and how you got to this point in your journey. Yeah, so I'm a corporate America dropout. My last role in the matrix, as I call it, was building a $20 million division for a Fortune 550. I was employee number two, and we went to about 175 people on my team over the course of eight or nine months. My reward for that was laying folks off. And so I decided after having to do that two years in a row, I didn't want to participate anymore. So I left and pursued real estate full time. And I was kind of a lone wolf. It started to bother me that I didn't have the opportunity to do the development and the coaching that I was doing in my leadership role. So I started to look for ways to do that. And I started working with one of the guys that was in financial services and helped him grow his practice. And other people saw what was happening. They started asking questions and it just kind of grew through word of mouth. And so now the vast majority of my time while I still operate my apartment portfolio, is tied to helping people grow assets under management and execute against business plans where they may not be able to do it if they didn't have support outside of their immediate team. Like you, I get approached often to help coach people. And of course, very selective when it comes to who I accept as a, as a consulting client in that regard. But One of the things that I've noticed over time is there's certain patterns that emerge. When folks are successful, they have a certain set of ingredients that they bring to the table or a certain set of initiative, a certain mindset. And and then there's others that just get stuck. And it's almost as if they're hoping for their coach or their consultant to carry the runner over the finish line, perhaps to use a an Olympic, uh, an Olympic example, since we have the Olympics going on in Beijing right now. What's been your experience? What have you noticed? Where do people get stuck? It's funny. I, I think they really get stuck at the place where they don't have the right connections. They're looking to go to the next level, but they're not connected to the right people to help open the doors to create the opportunity. And so they get frustrated. And instead of continuing to grow, instead of continuing to expand, they shrink back to the place that is comfortable because that feels like it's in their control. And so intentionally spending money to get around people who you may not have proximity to is one of the things that most people who are not initiated shy away from. And they don't realize that those investments can transform their lives for the better. And so they stay where they are. Uh, That resonates so strongly with me. I phrase that slightly differently. And for listeners to the podcast who have been listening for a while, you would have heard me say that you need three things in life to get anything. Number one, you need the knowledge. Number two, you've got to have the emotional fortitude. And number three, you've got to be in that right environment. What you're talking about is that right environment. Who do you know? Who are your relationships that can help open those doors for you? And 
you're actually responsible for creating that environment for yourself. It's not just going to happen magically on its own. How, how do people create those relationships if they weren't born, say, with a silver spoon in their hand and, you know, their neighbors aren't fund managers and, and all the rest? You know, it's funny that you bring that up because I'm in a living example of that. I'm the son of a soldier and a stay-at-home mom. No multimillionaire was coming over to the house for the barbecue for me. And so when I was sitting on the stoop in college with my buddy Duran and realized that the guy was making $700,000 a year and we never saw him or talked to him, the guy that owned the complex, it's like, well, how do I get from here to there? And I wasn't intentional. It was all proximity for me as I went through corporate America. And then what I learned really quickly once I left was that your network truly is your net worth. And so I spent time in the space actively looking for people who were doing what I wanted to do. And then I made it such that I was in proximity to them. It could have been at ARIA, it could have been at a conference, it could have been at somebody's mastermind. I could have asked somebody who was doing something close to that person and said, hey, what do they like to do? And for me, I, I like exotic cars. So maybe I show up at a Cars and Coffee and introduce myself. But I'm targeting the people just like somebody who's in sales would be targeting a sales opportunity to make a new relationship. And is it going to help me initially? Maybe not. But what I did know is that it couldn't hurt, right? It couldn't hurt to have exposure to new people. And now some, like I've got a real estate conference coming up that I'll organize. And I pinch myself when I look at the speaker list because I can't believe that I know some of these people. Like one of the people who are speaking sold her company for a billion dollars. Like I, I'm the kid of, a, I grew up in Fayetteville, North Carolina. I, I played sideline bus football with people who after high school decided that they were going to be drug dealers. Like this, this is my life and I'm living out exactly what you're saying. Like changing the people that you spend time with is the way to change everything about your life condition without a shadow of a doubt. Absolutely. And I think that's true for everybody. One of the things that happens in your environment is you also create opportunity for frequency of those what Seth Godin calls collisions, where if if let's say you grew up and you live in South Central LA, opportunities do present themselves, but not very often. And most of the time, folks are not ready to take advantage of those opportunities when they do present themselves. Whereas someone who, let's say, went to Harvard, those opportunities present themselves every day, like literally every day. And it's truly that all-you-can-eat buffet of opportunity. And I think that's part of the difference, is to get in those circles where there is an abundance of opportunity that you literally can pick and choose the best ones. Without a shadow of a doubt. And I'm the kid who went to public school all the way through, right? And so what you point out with going to the, some of the elite universities is the people are connected. And then those connections, kind of the network effect happens. And through a phone call or two, you can be introduced to basically anybody you want to be introduced to. What I think a lot of people miss, though, is they're not being intentional about it. They're not intentionally selecting to be in that ecosystem. They're just doing what they saw other people do. They're not intentionally changing from being surrounded by people who have jobs to being surrounded by people who are entrepreneurs to being surrounded by successful entrepreneurs to being surrounded by people who are business owners. 
and they own their company and it sends them money without them showing up for work. That for me, I think is an extension. It's an evolution. It's a journey that as you become wiser, you start to understand that, hey, if I want to do these things, then I need to tweak this or twist that so that I can get into those environments. I love that. It was very, that was said very articulately. I, I love how you said that. So when someone's sitting behind their desk, especially in the pandemic environment, looking to Google for answers, how do they break out of that when, you know, we've gone for two years with very little in the way of networking events, very little in the way of charity auctions at the golf course and all of those sorts of things that would naturally be opportunities for people to meet. How do, how do people get started? You know, I look at it on the flip side, Victor, all of the meetups that existed where people were getting together in small rooms and it was local, right? Those things are virtual now. I can literally be in a different meetup that would have been local every night of the week now. Last night, I spoke at a group that where the head is in New York City. Next week, I'm going to speak to one where there's a guy in New Jersey. In the past, I would have had to get on a plane, get there, get out, rent a car, have a hotel, just to meet those folks that were sitting in that room. I think the technology has made it easy for people to meet a bunch of other people and then go upstairs and sleep in their own bed without the travel expenses, without the time investment to get to the place. Now, whether or not people actually want to do it through the computer screen, that's for them to figure out. But I think it's a tremendous opportunity. And with that said, there are places that are pretending like it didn't happen. I see things in Texas and Tennessee and Florida where people are acting as if COVID isn't a big deal and they're meeting and they're gathering and they're doing it as they done it before. Same thing with conferences. Some conferences are going totally virtual where you can get the whole attendee list and message everybody outside of the session. And then some are meeting face to face and you're shaking hands and bumping elbows. You know, for me, I lean towards the virtual. It doesn't excite me to wear a mask when I'm in the company of other people. I much rather deal with the computer interface than wear a mask and not be able to see your facial expression as we have the conversation. So there's always opportunity is the point I'm trying to make. You just have to be willing to adjust or pivot what's traditionally been done in order to harness that opportunity and make the most of it. Even myself as an example, I'm often spending six, seven hours a day on Zoom meetings, much like we're doing right now, and not a stranger to that, did that even long before the pandemic. So that was normal. That was business as usual. Today, I'm thinking carefully, when do I jump on a plane? Next week, I'm going to spend three days for a one-hour meeting. I'm flying, you know, across the country with two connections and horrible layovers and all the rest. But it's for a meeting with the mayor, and that meeting probably wouldn't take place at the same level of quality if it was a Zoom meeting. So I'm making that choice, that conscious choice, to do it the old-fashioned way. I don't know. Maybe we'll run the retrospective. Maybe it would have been better by Zoom at the end of it. But we don't know until you run the experiment to some extent. I think that there there is no substitute from my perspective for the face-to-face, -face, being able to touch skin, that interaction, sharing the actual same space, it, it you can't replace that, right? And people who say folks aren't going back to the offices and all that stuff, I, I just don't think that's true. Some may not, but I don't think long range that that is the answer. 
counterpoint to that, when you do make the journey, when you do make the trek, it shows the person how high in esteem you hold them. Because, yeah, I could have showed up prepared for this thing five minutes before. Instead, I'm devoting five, 10, 15 hours to get to you to do this thing and then turn around and go back. And I think that goes a long way. It, it does send a message, it doesn't it? For sure for me. And, you know, I'm even particular about who I have a Zoom meeting with, right? For the majority of people, I push them into the place of let's communicate via some form of text messaging, whether it's on a social media platform, whether it's via actual text message on the phone, whether it's the email, because we don't have to be available at the same time. This concept, this, I'll call it the matrix of having to be available at the same time to share thoughts raises the person's right or wrong importance in your world. I'm not going to do anything else other than spend time with you at this given point. Whereas if you text me, I can get back to you in a minute, an hour, a day, a week, just depends on the level of importance that you have in my world. And I think being selective about how we allocate our time is extremely important at this point because there's so many different people that are out there who are clamoring for our time because they think they have access because of the internet. I love it. Well, Jerome, if uh, folks want to connect, if they want to learn more, what would be the best way? Yeah, JeromeMyers.co. You can grab our free stuff. We've got a ton of free content out there. And I, I could send you to one thing, but there's so many different options. Uh, just jump on and you can grab all the free stuff because there's plenty there. I love it. Well, Jerome, love the conversation. Great to connect with you again. For the listeners at home, definitely connect with Jerome at jeromemyers.co. That's .co. And the link will be in the show notes. In the meantime, have an awesome rest of your weekend. Go make some great things happen. And we'll talk to you again tomorrow. <laughs>